Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. I think we have a very interesting topic today. Pragmatism. You know, and by the way, folks, <laughs> um, as is often the case, not always, but um, this is uh, one of those mornings where um, um, I, I don't know what the topic is, is until uh, maybe a few hours ahead of time and sometimes not until we actually get on Zoom. So we're on a Zoom call. We record this on Zoom. Um, so sometimes what you're hearing is really just our raw thoughts just being passed back and forth. So, I mean, this is an interesting topic, and let's just start with understanding what that word means. Uh, Because, you know, brother, I think it gets tossed around a little bit. It actually doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Um, There are a few preachers who uh, really talk about it and try to hammer down the importance of um, understanding what it means and why it's a threat, uh, especially in the church. Um, but I assume and I imagine there are a lot of folks out there who still really don't understand what we're talking about when we're talking about pragmatism in terms of the, the church. So, w- w- give us a definition. What do we mean by pragmatism? Yeah, pragmatism, and especially when it comes to the church, it's, it's really emphasizing, um, quote unquote, what works. Um, it's an emphasis upon what's going to fill the seats, what's going to bring, bring people in. And then it's really an emphasis upon what works at the expense of what Scripture says. So when we talk about pragmatism, we're not talking about those things that are in the Bible that are of practical benefit. Um, we're talking about an emphasis upon what works that contradicts what these Scriptures tell us to do. And uh, one um, simple example would be, for instance, to preach the word. I mean, we see in Second Timothy, when Paul is uh, talking to Timothy, he tells them that, look, people are going to seek after teachers who tickle their own ears, but you, you are to preach the word in season and out of season. So, that's a prime example of what the Bible commands versus what is pragmatic or what's going to draw people. Yeah, that's a great definition, brother. Thank you for that. And so, we're, we're really, when you hear the word pragmatism, you know, we're talking about being a threat in the church. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a philosophy, right? Um, it, it's, it's an approach, a way to understand truth through theories in terms of just what you've said, how they work, right? So, if it works, it must be good, let's do it, um, rather than it just being a practical decision. We all have to make those kinds of things, right? Um, for instance, it's not it's not pragmatism for a church to, you know, if they're opening up uh, in a new location to put an advert in the paper to let people know they're there, right? right. We wouldn't say right. that's pragmatism. Um, however, if you change the entire worship structure of your church just to facilitate the desires and wants of the general public because it works, um, you know, that would be a pragmatic approach to church, which, by the way, we have a huge uh, population of the church that does just that very thing, right? Uh, think of uh, Rick Warren's church, uh, the kind of, we find your your felt need and needed, and if it's scriptural, great, and if it's not, whatever, that's fine, too. Um, that's kind of the pragmatic mindset. Yeah, and, and I think um, Andy Stanley would be an example of this. Um, I believe his, <clears throat> his whole idea of unhitching from the Old Testament, um, in my opinion, is really driven by um, a desire not to push his audience away, um, not to reach into passages that you know, are separated um, by, <clears throat> by so much in terms of culture and, and geography and all that, and to just emphasize uh, the new. And he's also very well known for having messages that um, are kind of these 10-point checklists of Here's how to um, improve um, your relationships with people at the workplace, th- things like that. Um, so it's it's really an emphasis. And and to your point, what you just said, I think is good. Um, it's not simply what is practical, and and we have to realize that we have a lot of Christian freedom, even in terms of the decisions we make at the church. Um, so, like you said, if there is a new church plant opening, um, it's practical to go ahead and 
have an advert in the paper to let people know, the community know that the church is there. Um, there there's nothing wrong with that because there's nothing unbiblical about that. Um, but it's when we go to unbiblical um, means to be able to accomplish the purposes of the church. Uh, and usually it's numbers. It's to draw in numbers. Yeah. And I think of the um, the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening, uh, when we think about the Great Awakening, we think about the original Great Awakening, which um, people were in mass coming to faith just off the faithful proclamation of God's word. But the Second Great Awakening was really more about methods, um, people staging these kind of revival meetings and, and trying to force people into a decision. And, and so methods were kind of the means of trying to accomplish numbers. <clears throat> and that's really at the root of what pragmatism is all about. So it's not it's not that anything that is practical is pragmatism, but um, pragmatism is practicality at the expense of what the Bible says um, is what we ought to do. Yeah, and it really comes down to what the motive is behind the method, right? Um, if if the motive if the motive is, as we said, to make the church uh, known, the church the church's existence known, um, that's fine. If the motive is to do it in such a way where it's just attractive to an unbelieving world, then you've crossed over into pragmatism. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I um, it, the pragmatism, if you couch it in terms of the regulative principle of worship or the normative principle of worship. Actually, we should do a podcast on that. Um, Those things don't even get debated much anymore. We have to talk about things like, um, you know, it's unbiblical to murder children. Um, It it would be nice to get back into some real theological stuff. But uh, I've heard pragmatism referred to, and I don't remember where I saw it, as the inventive principle, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was a really good term. And uh, it, it was just what it sounds like, right? Inventing ways um, to be attractive. Now, mind you, pragmatism is rarely meant to be attractive to believers. Generally, it's geared towards the unsaved. Yeah. Uh, that ought to be a huge red flag, right? Just right. that fact. <clears throat> yeah, and it sounds, it sounds good because what people will say is that, well, if we make it more appealing to the world, um, there's going to be more people coming and more people will end up hearing the gospel. Um, and that sounds, again, that sounds good on its face. <clears throat> but again, when you go to the scriptures and remember that the church is the body of Christ, and we gather together as a body to be able to worship as a body. And so when you read Paul's instructions, like for instance, 1 Corinthians 14, when he talks about tongues versus prophecy, the whole point of prophecy is that you're edifying the body of Christ. And so, when you remember what the scriptures say about the body being believers, then you realize that to try to make the service more appealing to unbelievers, while it sounds good getting them together and having more people hear the gospel, it actually defeats the purpose of the corporate gathering. The corporate gathering is for the feeding and the edification of the body, not the um, unbelievers. But I would say another thing, that, um, that when you start to appeal to these kinds of methods to try to draw on unbelievers— it may initially start off with the idea of more people will hear the gospel, um, but where is the line? And the line ends up getting pushed further and further out where it's like, okay, let's have less preaching time. Let's do more music. Let's bring in something that's um, kind of borderline entertainment. And in some cases, some of these churches have gone all out with full secular entertainment, you know, having uh, pop songs uh, and, um, you know, people dressed up as stormtroopers and things like that um, on the stage. And so when you start to bend to methods, um, what, what we see historically is that, um, that the church never just stops at the first step, that there are then additional steps of compromises taken in order to appease those unbelievers. And next thing you know, you've got, um, you've got a church that's embracing worldly ideologies that looks no different from the world. And you get to the point where the gospel is not even proclaimed, or if it is proclaimed, it's a false gospel um, or, or a watered down gospel where things like sin are, are not even being brought up. And we see that. Um, very clearly in in the ministry of people like Joel Osteen, you know, where you can listen to an entire message and he'll never bring up sin, he'll never bring up repentance, he'll never actually share the the real gospel, uh, but rather will give a message that appeals to unbelievers who simply just want to feel good about themselves. Yeah, and I mean, this is why we say pragmatism in the church is so destructive. You know, I mean, pragmatism is the prince of perdition within the church. It is just a bastion of destruction, and that's really why. It 
it avoids the regular principle of worship, which just simply is, a, it, it, we understand the regular principle basically to teach that we approach God and worship based on the way that God has prescribed us to worship him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, the, the there's another principle, the normative principle, um, which basically says you can do what's not disallowed in scripture. Uh, but in reality, if you go with that, you very easily slip into pragmatism because, well, the scripture doesn't forbid fog machines, right? Right. Uh, uh, scripture right. doesn't forbid laser lights. So, I mean, you can just, it just opens the door up into Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, right? Church heaven, so to speak, uh, or church hell in their case. Um, but uh, it, it's incredibly dangerous. And that's part of the reason why. And it's also interesting that pragmatism, it produces the very sort of people that scripture warns us not to become. Um, it, you know, I mean, I think of uh, the passage in Ephesians, we're preaching through the book of Ephesians right now, um, where he's talking about sound doctrine in uh, chapter four. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Well, pragmatism embraces every wind of doctrine because it asks the question, what is appealing to the culture around us, and that is an ever a changing, ever changing appeal, right? So this year you have this fad, next year you have that fad, and it just swishes, uh, you know, the church from one direction to another. And so one decade you end up with the purpose-driven life, the next uh, decade you end up with, yeah, ten-minute mini sermonettes with. Um, you know, some idiot on the stage shooting people with a water gun talking about holy water or whatever craziness is out there. Uh, but it it produces exactly what we're told in Scripture, sound doctrine is meant to combat. You know, and I love that you went to Ephesians. And again, for those who are in my church listening to this, I'm not the only one that loves going to Ephesians. Um, but that was the exact passage I was thinking about as well. I mean, starting in verse 11, that Jesus gave to the church some as pastors and teachers um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. And verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children. And the the, the problem is that there there's this idea that we can redeem the culture. That, that we can redeem the ideologies of men, that we can take um, what is good and spit out the bones and, and keep the meat. Um, and and that's, that's very dangerous. And what I've seen from my experience is that even if they're not wholeheartedly embracing the, the, the falsehoods of the world, um, one of these side effects, if they're not embracing the falsehoods of the world, but they're, they're keeping it shallow and they're just doing what's, uh, what, what people want, they don't want to go too deep, they don't want to go too detailed, well, what you have is a shallow church that are unable to discern these things. They can't discern uh, when the, every wind of doctrine or the trickery of men or the craftiness and deceitful scheming. And so they end up getting led into listening to people like a Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick, not realizing that there's anything wrong with that. And that's that's quite common if you're in a church where the where, where the discernment level is very low. And the discernment level, I've said this before, where, where the doctrine is shallow, discernment is going to be shallow. And, uh, and so, the, if they're not embracing these things, they're at least not going to be able to discern these things. Yeah, and, I, and that's, I mean, that's the result. Um, and it's because pragmatism holds doctrine and teaching so loosely that it, so that it's able to shift, right, with what's the new fad. Um, I, I think a great recent example I saw of this in in life, uh, Virgil Walker, I think is who it was, posted something on social media of a so-called church with a rainbow flag and a Black Lives Matter flag on the outside. Yeah. And uh, the reality is that's a church of the world, not of the word. And that's what pragmatism produces, right? They're wanting to appeal to these groups of people. Um, and in, in, in that way, it's just blatantly against scripture. A lot of times it's quite a bit more subtle, uh, but that's just a good example. And we're seeing more um, and more of that kind of thing. But you make a good point. Um, you know, pragmatic churches tend to have this idea of trying to redeem culture, trying to make the, the gospel appealing, Um and I often just wonder, like, do these pastors ever read, ever actually read their Bible? Because, you know, we're at enmity against God before we come to Christ. There is nothing in the unbeliever who wants to. The unbeliever is not seeking for God. Um, that, that's an erroneous statement. The unbeliever mm. is in a state of hating 
God, rebellion against God. There's no unbeliever that comes to church and thinks, wow, I, I really think I'm, I'm wanting to worship this God. That's just, that doesn't happen. And so the idea that we can make the gospel appealing to them um, is just contrary to scripture in every way. I mean, Jesus makes the statement, uh, you know, they hated me and so they'll hate you if, you know, I pulled you out of the world because you were not of the world. If you were of the world, they would love you because the world loves their own. Um, and pragmatism just ignores all of that and says, well, but maybe we can, well, basically it's just making church entertaining because yeah. that's the only thing the world appreciates um, is are things that are entertaining because they can't appreciate the holy things of God. Yeah, it could be entertaining. It, it could be entertainment driven. It could also be just wanting to um, to have their sins embraced um, rather than being rebuked, right? So, I mean, in the example that you gave, yeah, Virgil Walker had posted that church picture. There was a um, rainbow flag on one side, and we know what that means. That's representing the LGBTQ community. And not surprisingly, someone um, pulled up uh, the, the, the the pastoral staff there, and it was uh, two female pastors um, who were the head, the head of that church. And I point that out not to say that women embrace these things, but uh, from what we've seen, when women are allowed to become the pastors, I mean, first of all, it already shows that they are disregarding what Scripture says about uh, women uh, pastors and teachers. And uh, when, once you go beyond that, there is no limit to what you're going to go beyond. And historically, this is exactly what we see. They go completely leftwards. They embrace all kinds of unbiblical movements. It doesn't just stop um, at uh, female pastors, but now it um, includes uh, embracing the LGBTQ community and Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, which we know is really just a political arm for the Democratic Party, um, they've um, they're they're a sham. Um, they're 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 built upon uh, Black liberation theology, um, which is a form of kind of cultural Marxism mixed in uh, with uh, with theology that that teaches that. Um, people of, of a certain skin color are automatically born more sinful than others, and that repentance is, uh, is, is ongoing, it never ends, it, there's never complete atonement, all those kinds of things. So, we see even from those flags that these are worldly movements that are embraced by the world, and you're trying to mix it in with the culture. And the moment you see that, what you do know is this, and, <clears throat> and I kind of subtweeted that and said that uh, any congregation can call itself a church, but if they're not, if they're not exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit, in truth, um, they're not a church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's pure and simple. And so, when you see things like that, then you know that this is not a place that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. You, and you know that just from, from those kinds of signs. But oftentimes, it is more subtle. Um, it, it is, it is um, what, uh, what people think are just kind of innocent um, and, and harmless uh, compromises here and there. And sometimes, and, and what I've heard, and I'm sure everyone who's an expositor has heard this, um, people within the congregation will say, well, you know, it, it, some of the more, less mature believers have a difficult time following what you're preaching. And so, I, I think you need to make it simpler um, for them. And uh, my, my thought, first of all, um, there, there's nothing wrong with trying to bring forth a message that's going to be understood by the entire flock. Um, we should do that. We should seek to speak clearly in a way that's going to be understood and in a way in which the application uh, to them is going to be clear in their mind. Um, but at the same time, we also have to understand that Scripture takes work, um, that the principles here in the Bible take work. And, uh, and, and from my experience, people who are um, new in the faith, they means they have the Holy Spirit, means they should have a hunger for the Word. And I have seen counterexamples where someone is brand new to the faith, and they come to a church specifically because the teaching is expository, because they want to hear the, uh, the, the Bible being taught. Um, so, I, I realize that for some people, there's a, there, there's a level in which they might struggle if they're brand new or immature, um, but those are things that can be overcome um, with, with prayer and um, trust in God and the Holy Spirit, and perhaps even with some more personal discipleship to help walk them through some of the more uh, fundamental elements of our Christian faith. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, that Christianity requires work. Right. And, and, and I think we, when we start talking about this, I, I mean, we understand in the context of our culture, we have a really dumbed down culture. Uh, right. I mean, I think uh, last I, I heard some years ago, they were recommend, recommending that um, if you write publicly, you write on like a fifth grade level or something like yeah. that. Um, and everything in the, and everything is continually getting 
um, dumbed down, being made easier, uh, taking the work um, out of what we do. I mean, so much so that, I mean, just think about, um, it, you know, we, we know McDonald's. You go to McDonald's, if you get hired on McDonald's, like the majority of their menu, they've so simplified it that it's mostly just pictures. I mean, if you're a cashier at McDonald's, you're basically just touching pictures all day with what people order. Um, and it, it's like I have the image of a toddler in my head flipping through a picture book because he can't understand words yet. Um, you think of how they're uh, kind of redoing how we process math and math questions. And I've looked at some of the new stuff and it it's insane. Um, it makes the assumption that um, because you can't do logic and reason, um, you, you've got to add these 15 steps to try to get to solve the mathematical equation. So we see this, our culture promotes this, right? Everything's ease, pictures. Uh, and when we get into the church and not to blame any um, one per se, but we just need to recognize that our culture uh, kind of facilitates that. And, but scripture doesn't, cater to that you know god gave us what he wanted to give us and we need to recognize that and the expectation was that um, as a believer you have everything you need to be able to come to a general understanding of what's in scripture right it it we we believe in the perspicuity of scripture um being able to read it that it's clear that it's understandable for the average believer and so yes there's some work involved uh but there are a plethora of tools out there. Your pastor, your other elders, um, other believers, most churches have some kind of midweek meeting. There are commentaries, um, you know, so there's really no reason uh, to, you know, to want the 15-minute kind of fifth-grade version sermons. Uh, in fact, you lose a lot of, you really have to just change God's word um, to dumb it down that much in a lot of instances. Uh, because it's so rich and so deep. You can't do that with the book of Ephesians, by the way, uh, as you well know. Um, yeah. I mean, just imagine preaching through, I, I mean, the first the first uh, 11 verses, 14 yeah. verses of Ephesians, um, you're talking about predestination, you're, you're talking about election, you're talking about adoption, you're talking about redemption. Um, I, I mean, those are such rich truths that they call the body to kind of I think as Paul Washer puts it, uh, boots on Bible study, um, you, you get to work in those things. But pragmatism would answer that concern that you raised basically with a, you know what, we're right. Uh, you're right. Let's, let's cut this down a bit. Let's make it far more simple. Maybe 45 minutes to an hour in a sermon is way too long. Um, most people today can only handle, I don't know, what is it, 15, 20 minutes. Um, but you're, and so you're catering to that rather than asking the question, you know, how do we exposit this well? What kind of time do we need to give, um, you know, to these passages? And pragmatism, yeah, it just destroys a healthy church in every way. Yeah, and you brought something up that I want to expand upon. Do you just kind of the dumbing down um, of, um, of of our reading levels in general, and and I don't know <clears throat> what our average uh, reading comprehension level is uh, today compared to in the past, um, but I do see the same thing. And in fact, I was um, working with some homeschooled kids uh, th this morning. There's a co-op, and and they have a guest speaker come and speak to them every couple of weeks. And I was talking to them about critical thinking, and I even asked them. Um, what, what do you think is the difference between critical thinking and uh, indoctrination? And uh, one of the young ladies uh, there said, uh, well, indoctrination is when they tell you what to think. And I said, that's, that's exactly right. You know, I think we're in a culture where increasingly more and more, and that's just a result of the age that we're in, that, um, that kids, especially those in the public school systems, are being told what to think, not how to think. Critical thinking is about how to think. We have been given a mind so that we would think. I mean, Romans uh, 12, 2 talks about, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 talks about laying aside the old self and being renewed in the spirit of your mind and then putting on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So the mind is a very important vessel. And, and, and I, I have to laugh whenever I hear someone suggest that we are more intelligent or more sophisticated than people in generations past. 
um, just pick up some of the books from the Puritans. I mean, some of these Puritans, even in the teenage years, they're struggling with hefty doctrines. They're they're struggling with the sovereignty of God and salvation. They're they're struggling with God's um, total control over all things. And then when you read through their struggles, I mean, these are they're. they're they're digging deep. They're in long seasons of prayer, really dwelling upon what they read and, and coming out the other side, being much stronger uh, for their faith. And then I think about the, um, the the catechisms. So we've got the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechism that's, that's connected to that. You know, that catechism intimidates most adults today, but that catechism was created for children, for children yeah. to be able to uh, memorize questions and answers so that they can be able to memorize systematic theology um, at, a, at a young age. So, we're, we're not getting smarter. We're actually getting dumber and, and the, the, the devices and the plethora of um, video streaming services that are available and how everything is electronic now. Um, basically, we have a we have a generation that's uh, becoming more increasingly used to just numbing their mind to all the entertainment impulses uh, that are all around them. And uh, because of that, now when we have a church service, the pragmatism is that we need to cater to that generation and be able to keep their attention span. We want to um, bring something that's more visual. We want something that's um, that that's in shorter increments, not so much teaching, not too much, not not too deep. We're going to lose them. You know, all of that is pragmatism, and it just has a disastrous effect upon the. Um, flock who's actually there, who's supposed to be fed the word of God in a very real, tangible, and uh, concrete way by the pastors and teachers of the church. Yeah, I was just looking up some stats on uh, U.S. literacy, and it looks like, uh, according to this, only 36% of people in the U.S. have, now listen to this, that this is their measure, above an eighth grade level comprehension. 36%. Wow, um, and and then the the next graph here is showing the number percentage that have a proficient literacy level. It's only twelve percent, twelve percent. And so you go the other other direction, then you, you know they they're pretty consistent. So if twelve percent only have a you know proficient literacy, I mean, that that's why we have issues in the church of how do you apply, I think, scripture. I mean, we talked about this before, how more and more, I think, pastors are going to have to go back and start helping people learn uh, application rather than um, being able to preach a text and let people pull out by implication. That just isn't happening much, I think, these days. No. And that's partly why. And and you're absolutely right. I, I mean, you read books from the past uh, thinking that we're so far advanced. I mean, pick up, um, who is it? Isaac Watts, I think, book on logic. I, <laughs> that book will, I, I mean, if you've if you have a master's degree, you have to read that book twice. Um, and, and it was written for grade school children. Mm. Uh, the first time I read through that book, I thought, oh, my goodness. They're teaching grade school children this material. And, I mean, there, there were words in there. I had to pull up my dictionary uh, to see what they meant. So, you're absolutely right. And I think um, pragmatism appeals to the dumbing down of culture. And this is one of the reasons it's so very deadly in the church, I think. But fundamentally, it's deadly because it denies the sufficiency of Scripture. I mean, at a fundamental level, that's the problem, I think, with pragmatism. Um, you, you go to 2 Timothy, we've read it a ton. All scriptures breathe out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, uh, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, pragmatism comes along and basically says, well, just preaching the word of God is not enough. Um, either it's too offensive or it's uh, too too in in depth we need to dumb it down um let's make the music more attractive you know because the scripture isn't good enough i mean that's really i think the biggest problem with pragmatism uh fundamentally it attacks the sufficiency of scripture you know and we've also seen in the world there's been the rise of what's called ted talks um so the these are monologues from individuals they'll go up there they'll pick a topic it can be any range of topics and uh, they'll they'll talk about that topic for sometimes up to an hour sometimes even beyond an hour and those ted talks have become increasingly popular in our culture all that to to show this when someone is really interested in a topic they're going to pay attention and so the the rise of ted talks really kind of 
is proof against um, this idea that things need to be shorter in time span. Um, but so if they can watch TED Talks, why is it that they can't sit through a sermon? Well, I'll tell you why, because they don't have interest in the Word of God because they're unbelievers. You know, but those who have the Holy Spirit within them will have that interest. And I have seen, and I know you have as well, it's not necessarily even about education level, though this is a big part of what we're talking about, the dumbing down of the culture. But I have seen that when people are saved and they have the Holy Spirit working within them, they become hungry for the word. Mm. And uh, and having um, a, a sermon that is presented with a lot of meat is not going to detract them from wanting to keep coming back. Um, I've got this uh, one gentleman to, uh, one gentleman at my church. He's, um, he, he, he's the first to admit that um, he's still very kind of elementary and his understanding of scripture. Uh, but when I came, he came to visit just to see what was going on. But his plan was that he was going to go back to his old church uh, once once he met me. But then after he met me and he heard my messages, he decided to stay. And he's still at the church to, to this day. And he's also one of the ones that often brings up these comments and suggestions about what I should do to change things around. And one day I just pointed out to him, I said, hey, you know, you've stuck around these two years, even though you don't always understand everything. Why do you do that? And well, he does that because he wants to learn the the word of God, you know. So I mean, that's you know, he ends up being proof of of himself that um, that there's something in him that's hungering to to hear it, even if though he may not always fully understand it. Yeah, I think you made a good point there. Um, e- even though you know a, a less mature believer in the faith may not understand everything in a sermon, if they really are born again, that that just wants them uh, makes them want want to know more, right? It draws them in. Um, and, and we've all seen this, right? Because they have the Spirit of God in them. And so, there's a passage that maybe they don't fully understand, or it's a little deeper theologically. Um, for the believer, it, it, it pulls them in, and, and they have a desire to want to figure out what that means, what that is. And so, these are the guys that you find uh, come to the midweek meetings, or they come to the pastor, the elders, and they say, hey, can you um, just help flesh this out, help understand? Or they go home and they do their own research. They pull up other sermons. They uh, find commentary sources on it. Um, That's what we should see, what we want to see. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a hard truth, and uh, I, I wish I could use my little bear uh, gif or jif, whatever here. Uh, <laughs> but, it, you know, when, when people um, want 20-minute sermons and they're put off by longer ones, it's generally because they're not believers. Um, and some of them have been in the church for 10, 15 years, and the reality is they just have no love for the Word of God. Uh, they're coming to church for whatever reasons they are, but it's not uh, to be um confronted with the truth in the word of god so that uh they're further sanctified and that sort of thing and that's just a harsh reality uh because when you love the word of god it is so easy to sit under the teaching for 45 minutes in in fact you know um and and you've probably you've been exposed to this too you go to other countries where their words starved and 45 yeah. minutes is nothing you know, you, you yeah. get done in 45 minutes and like, well, where, where's the rest? No, we're, yeah. we're here for six hours. Uh, it, you know, um, I wouldn't pull that in my church, but, um, it, you know, I remember this one village we went to in Africa at one stage and I don't know, there were three or four of us or something. This is years ago. And that, that was the thing. They were so star for the word. Um, I don't think anyone could read in that village. If I remember correctly, that that's not a, an uncommon thing. And, you know, we each took our turn. So it was four or five hours or something. And they were like, what? We're not done yet. <laughs> you know, we, we have all day. We, we have until the sun goes down. So who's preaching next? Explain this thing, this thing. Um, and it's not about the length of the sermon, but it's th- that just shows when someone loves the word of God their mentality. And so to sit in the service, you know, for an hour and a half total or two hours or whatever it is on the Lord's day, nonetheless, um, ought to be a longing to do that and a, and a desire and a joy, not, wow, that, you know, that guy preached for 45 minutes instead of 15. And, um, he lost me back, you know, after the, the first 
the first segment or whatever, the first point, if you preach by five points, if you're a good Baptist, I think it's four, <laughs> but um, yeah, absolutely. And three, so three points in a poem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. Uh, give a good outline, but, it, but pragmatism plays into all this because it, I mean, effectively it, a pragmatic church by way of operation teaches that other things are far more important than the word of God, that your attention being grabbed um, is far more important than the word of God. And so it develops, I think, an atmosphere of looking for anything and everything um, to entertain you or to grab your attention except God's word. And, you know, you're right. That is you know, some people might go with this slippery slope fallacy here, uh, but it is true, right? Once you leave the sufficiency of Scripture, I mean, you're doomed as a church. It might take a decade. It might take three decades, um, you know, but go back and look at the history of, you know, denominations that have done that. You know, think of the, the Presbyterian uh, USA, the PC USA. I mean, the Presbyterian Church broke largely. Uh, you know, that happened because they were making doctrinal compromises, and it always happens that way. No. Um, and now the PC USA is not even a church, it, it's just totally and utterly apostate. Um, and, you know, you see other guys, uh, the SBC, you know, Rick Warren's church was a big thing at this last convention because they came out and ordained three or four so-called three, female yeah. pastors. Um, Same day. Yeah. And I mean, this is the pragmatic king of the West that we're talking about, right? Rick Warren, the purpose-driven church, the purpose-driven life, and look where they've gone with it. Now they're yeah. just, you know, flaunting um, unbiblical positions, almost kind of snubbing their nose at the SBC in some ways. Uh, but that's what inevitably happens when you go that route. Yeah, and just to add a couple more examples, I remember hearing when John MacArthur first went to Russia, we've had missionaries out there. He went out there during the winter time. It was really snowy out there. And so as he was getting the ride to the church, there was no one outside because of all the snow. And he was thinking that no one was going to be in the church, not knowing that there was these underground walkways that that people could take to get to that church. And he walked in and it was standing room only. And, and not only was it standing room only, um, but they basically wanted him to preach all day. And so he preached for like eight straight hours. And for those eight straight hours, it was standing room only the entire time. And then I remember when I went to um, another country where Christians are being persecuted, I won't name the country, but you can probably guess. I went to another country. I was um, preaching underground in an underground church going through Psalm 110, but I don't speak Chinese, so it has to be translated. That means a 45-minute message easily turns into an hour and a half. And so, we got to the hour and a half mark, and I remember the missionary that was there was kind of giving me this signal like, you, you, need, to, you need to end this message. It's going too long. And uh, so, I started to, you know, I'm looking at my message saying, okay, I'm just going to emphasize the main points. So, um, I, I just kind of covered the main points of the remaining verses brought it to an end. It ended up being an hour and a half. And then afterwards, all the folks that were there, they came and talked to me. They were asking me questions. And every single question that they asked uh, was about some little detail that I'd skipped. So, even after an hour and a half, they were paying attention and hanging on every single word that I was explaining from Psalm 110. But that's what happens in, in a country where, where people are starved for the word. Um, they're compelled by it. They want to hear it um, explained. <clears throat> now, here's the question, though. So, for those of you who are listening to this, um, how do you know you're at a church that has given into pragmatism? And, and what is the antidote for it? How, how do you protect against pragmatism? Um, what would you say, Nathaniel? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I think um, the only way you can really answer that question, unless it's just very uh, blatant, um, you know, if they're doing pop shows every Sunday, you, you don't even need to ask the question, find a new church. Um, but other than that, I, I think first key is that you're an active, involved member in your church. And, and that's important because you need to understand what the motives for doing what they're doing is, right? Um, it, you know, just for instance, you know, I pastor a church plant. And so we do some things uh, that we wouldn't do if we weren't a new church. So we have like a radio advert. Uh, we put up signs around at, at the front of the church, basically just saying, hey, we're a new church. We're here to let people. People know. Um, well, that's a practical thing, but it's not pragmatic. I, our uh, the motive behind it isn't to 
just attract numbers. It's we're a brand new church, and if people don't know you're here, how can they come? Versus um, if the motive is doing all these things just to increase the number in the seats. So a lot of times in the more subtle things, it, it comes to motive. And you can't know that if you don't have conversations with your elders. But don't be afraid to have those conversations. Um, it, it, you know, after a while, you start seeing a pattern, right? Um, it, we, we, we just, we're trying to put more butts in the seat, as it were. That, that is never an acceptable motive, right? If that's a longstanding thing. But, um, but an easy way is, is the church centered and focused around the word or not? Is it, is it, is it a program focused driven church or is it a word driven church? And I think that's probably your first clue, right? If the service, if the church revolves around the preaching and teaching of God's word, it's far less likely to be or become a pragmatic church. Um, but if it's program driven, and it's not difficult to discover that, um, then you probably have a pragmatic church. And I'll give you a good example. You know, like I said, we're a church plant. We've got about 12 folks on Sunday, um, and we don't have any small kids in the church currently. Uh, but occasionally, we'll get asked, well, when are you guys going to start a, a kid's ministry so that you can attract other parents in the community? Um, well, my answer is we'll start something for kids when we have kids in the church and it's needed, right? We aren't going to just do programs to attract numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the way to do that. So don't have any problem with programs in the church, but I think, um, and you can speak to this, we haven't talked about this, but I imagine you carry a similar view. Programs should be designed to meet the needs in the church, not just to yeah. attract others who aren't cur- coming currently. Yeah, no, I do agree because once again, we are catering to the, the to those who are saved. We're catering to believers. We're and when I say catering, not not necessarily just giving into whatever they ask for, but we are serving them the way God has called us to serve them. We have to remember that a church service is defined by God. It's not defined by man. Um, how we worship is defined by God. It's not defined by man, and so we make decisions based upon that. And I, I would also add that knowing the word is going to help you also know when to start asking questions when you see some changes being made um, at your church service. You know, if they start to incorporate uh, more videos, for example, um, well, that, that might be a good time to stop and ask, well, what are those videos for? That they might be for good purposes. I don't know. Um, sometimes a church might play videos of, of their missionaries and what's going on in the field. I think that's great. You know, but some might play videos from movie clips to get some laughs, right? And, and so, the more you know the word, um, the more you can start to observe what's going on in the church service and start to ask yourself, in what way does this give glory to God? And if you're not sure, ask the pastor. The pastor should be able to provide a very clear explanation for why each part of the service is arranged the, the way it is. And, and talking about pragmatism, you know what? Our church service, part of our church service is giving announcements, right? Um, we give announcements to the church so that people within the church know the events that are coming up. They know what to look out for. If we need volunteers, we can ask uh, ask for it there. That's a very practical thing that we do that, you know, that's that's you don't find that anywhere in scripture necessarily, but this is part of us communicating to our family about uh, the activities that are going on. So, I would say, be observant um, about um, what your church does, um, any changes that happen, um, any, anything that um, starts to shift or anything that's already in place, you know, make sure that you have an understanding of why those elements um, are there. The The order of service, and, and we know this as pastors, but it's easy to miss as a layperson. Um, the order of service matters. And when I say order of service, it's like when you come in, what's the first thing that, the, that you do? Um, what are the kind of songs that you bring? Um, when do you bring the announcement? Uh, what, when is the preaching? And what do you do following the preaching? All these things for a pastor who is um, devoted to glorifying God is going to be well thought out. Um, but for a layperson, it might be easy to miss. And so I would I would recommend pay attention to that and, and start thinking through why are each of these um, elements uh, in place? And when changes happen, why are those changes happening? You know, get, get to understand uh, those things from behind the scenes, but then also pay attention, as you mentioned, to the teaching. Um, the teaching, when, when biblical teaching is biblical, um, the pastor is going to invite the congregation to check the scriptures, like the noble Bereans. Everything that is preached, check the scriptures. And when you are at a 
church that does that kind of faithful exposition of the scriptures, then the leadership will understand that whatever they do is going to be under biblical scrutiny as well. So that's uh, that's definitely a good sign. And I've I've heard some very direct um, testimonies from people that followed teachers who were once sound, but then were led astray, in this one case, led astray by woke theology. And what they also noticed is that their, their, their preaching ended up becoming less and less biblical. Well, that's not by coincidence, because when you start to embrace worldly ideologies, um, you're going to be more motivated to start to speak less on what the Bible says and more upon the reasons why you embrace these ideologies. Yeah. And I, I mean, you, you, you make a really good point. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, we've said that several times during the podcast, but it's really important. I mean, people get offended very easily. Um, you, you could think that something's happening and, and think, oh, yeah, I heard this podcast about pragmatism. Oh, I need to find a different church. Uh, except, you know, w- when you ask the question, you find out that actually th- that's not the case um, because sometimes things can appear different than they really are. And so we need to get in the habit, I think, of going to the elders, going to one another and asking difficult questions. And I think this is one of the things our culture also creates an atmosphere of just getting so offended that if we do it the world's way, we get offended or we think something's unbiblical, and so we just leave. Um, I, I don't know any pastor, even us, who are quick to say, if you see some things, just find a different church. I don't think I, I don't know of any biblical pastor who likes to tell people to find another church. I mean, we do not want to create a culture um, of church shoppers, right? We want to see people right. get plugged into a church and, you know, um, Lord willing, die in that church, uh, be faithful in that church. Um, and so, don't be afraid to ask questions. And, you know, every pastor knows why they're doing what they're doing. It might not be a great answer or a great reason, but they know why. And so, ask those questions. Um, but uh, again, you know, if a church is biblically centered, if it revolves around the preaching and teaching of the word, uh, then they're not as likely to be a pragmatic church. But now, let's talk about another area of this because it, it isn't just the church that can give themselves into pragmatism. The reason pragmatism works works is because the congregation loves it. Um, I, I know here, you know, we've been here now for just a year, about a, a month over a year. Um, and one of the most commonly asked questions we get as a new church is, what does your worship look like? Now, they don't mean what does our worship look like, because you understand the entire service is worship, right? Yeah. Just, just the music is not worship. Um, but that's what they mean. They mean how amazing is your music? Um, The second biggest question that we get here, well, the top three are music. um, Are you a non-judgmental church? And the third one, so that's a whole different thing. And the Mm -hmm. third one is uh, what, what programs do you have for children? Right? So music and programs. I I mean, That's pragmatic. Um, right. No, nothing about what do you believe about scripture? How do you preach the word? Um, what's your central focus in the church? What's your doctrinal yeah. statement? I, we ha- I have never once in a year gotten any of those questions here. Never once mm. um, to, to my recollection. It's always what programs do you have? And uh, do you have amazing worship music? You know, um, and so, you, you know, you might be sitting here listening to this and find yourself in one of the categories that's attending your church because you prefer their music style um, yeah. or just because they have a great, you know, kids program. Um, by the way, a church is not supposed to become a daycare for your children. Uh, it's just not. Um, you know, and if you're going to a church just because of their music, then really you need a heart check. Uh, we should be going not for any preferential reason. Preferences are okay, but when those are the focus rather than worshiping Christ, rather than um, giving glory to God, rather than sitting under the preaching teaching of the word, then there's an issue. And so I think, and and we both come across this over the years. There are a far, there's far more pragmatic tendencies in people even coming to the church than I think what a lot of people would recognize. 
Yeah, I think we've um, we've all seen that. Anyone who's been in ministry long enough, even believers, um, may have pragmatic reasons for why they choose to come or why they choose not to come. You know, the the other part of this too, and, and maybe from the standpoint of those who are pastors and, and leaders, um, th- there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve the quality of your music. There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve the quality of your children's program. Uh, but you, you want to do it again, going back to motives. You want to do it with the motive of glorifying God with that. And understanding too, there, there's nothing wrong with improving, wanting to improve the quality of music, knowing that, um, you know, that the, the people will respond well to that. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with those, those things. But again, um, improving the quality of the music should be to the glory of God first and foremost. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, going away from um, doctrinally sound songs to going to more shallow kind of contemporary uh, Christian music. Um, and, and that's uh, one of the temptations that's, uh, that's often out there. Um, so there's multiple ways of looking at this, and then these actions in and of themselves may not be bad by themselves. But to the point of programs, too, the church um, is first and foremost about what it believes, what it believes and what it teaches. Because, again, when you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus Christ gave to the church um, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, as well as apostles and prophets. But he gave those positions, those, those offices to the church in order that the saints would be equipped um, for the, the the work of service. It's not so that they would create a bunch of programs. Now, the programs of a church can also be God-glorifying. You know, I came from Grace Community Church, and they've got a ton of programs. Yeah. But the programs um, are, are very God-centered. They're very Christ-centered. They're very evangelistically focused. Um, and that's, that's what you want from those programs. You don't want programs for the sake of expanding a country club, right, a, a social club, or just a, a place of um, socializing. But, but rather fellowshipping, true fellowship based upon the, the, the word of God. We, we started recently a young adults ministry for folks in their 20s and 30s because we're trying to um, raise up a younger generation of people that will really embrace the church. But when they come together, it's not just socializing. You know, we'll, we'll pull out a topic from the Bible and say, hey, let's talk about this and let's have a discussion, you know, about, about things um, of a spiritual nature, things of God. So it, it is all about um, that motivation and, um, and and your desire to grow the people and ultimately to to give glory to God. Yeah, and talk about Grace Community Church's uh, plethora of programs because they do. If you go to their website, I, I mean, it's almost never ending. Um, it seems, and and yet, if you understand how those things came to be, I mean, a great majority of them, as I understand, were born of believers who were equipped. Um, and came to the leadership and said, hey, I really have a burden to do ministry in this area of town. And, you know, Grace Community Church is like, fantastic, do it, you know, go do it and uh, we'll support you. Um, What do you need? We'll uh, oversee it as a church. We'll do this. And next thing you know, uh, there's a new ministry uh, on their website, right? Um, And it's there for as long as the ministry exists and maybe God only has that person in California for a short time or whatever the case is, but they're born out of, I think, primor- primarily people who have been equipped in that church doing the work of ministry. Yeah. Um, and that is a right. good God-honoring reason to have programs, right? Um, it, it, we, don't, we don't have kids, so we don't need kids' programs, right? I mean, it's right. just we we have no need for that but we right. do have other things you know we're small but um we you know on wednesday nights there's one young man who is really uh, he's one of these guys who he's pretty sharp but he's wanting to understand how to study his bible better he's wanting to dig in more from the sermons on sunday morning and so now you know we have a discipleship time every week with you know i have with him um that just we didn't do it because we just wanted to put something else on the calendar. It was right. born out of a need. And so, I mean, you, you, you brought up reference to the first Corinthians passage. Uh, um, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It says, whatever you uh, eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And I think that's, I mean, that's really the litmus test for motive, right? Um, are, are, is your church creating um, or bettering, as you mentioned, you know, ministries for the sake of the glory of God. I mean, we ought to do everything we do in the church in excellence, right? In a spirit of excellence. You do the best you can with what you have, 
I think that glorifies God. And so um, for a small church, it may mean you have no musicians and you worship in song a cappella. That that's fine. And yeah. you may not even have the greatest voices. Um, and that's fine. You do the best with what you have. Uh, but as God brings um, talent into the church and you enrich that for the sake of enriching worship to honor God, those are good reasons uh, to continue developing those things. I mean, I, I love the orchestra at Grace Community Church. One day, uh, maybe, um, it, we would have something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a classically trained French hornist, so uh, it's very easy for me to get there in my mind. But we don't have that, and we don't have to. Um, but, what you ne- what, but what you never want is that kind of thing to entertain people more as um, a concert, right? Grace Community Church's orchestra is not a concert for the pleasure of anyone in the community come and listen to good musicians on Sunday. Um, You know, their heart is that they give the best that they have, and they have a lot of talented people within the church. Um, And so that's what they give God on Sunday morning. Um, Yeah. So again, you know, it comes back to a, a motive thing. Yeah, and and the one of the takeaways there as well is that the programs that you're going to have at the church, not only for the glory of God, but it's going to be based upon the giftedness of the people that are in the congregation. There's a book called The Trellis in the Vine that that really lays out uh, that that kind of idea very well. The idea that the that the church, the, the programs for the church, really should develop organically based upon the giftedness of the people. You never want to go to a church and say, "Well, these are all the programs that we need to put in place now. Let's force people into those programs." Well, no, you, you want those to develop organically based upon the the, the talents and the gifts that people have and the burden that the Holy Spirit is putting upon their their heart to, to do those kinds of things. And, and so, that's uh, that's very important. But when we think about the bare necessities of the church, I think of Acts chapter 6, um, you know, how the apostle said, we must devote ourselves to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. And, and then deacons were established in order to meet the needs of, of those who needed um, to be served. And so, that's the bare essentials right there. You, you've, got, uh, you've got the ministry of the word, you've got prayer, and you have deacons that are serving the needs of um, of others who have uh, very specific needs. And then from there, you just build out uh, based upon, you know, the giftedness that's brought into the church. Yeah. And I think it's important to say it, if that isn't enough for you, then something is wrong. Something's wrong, yeah. right? I mean, if we look at the promises in scripture, you can read through uh, Psalm 19 um and you see all of the effects of the word of that the word of god is meant to have you, you know you get those six different words synonymous for the word of god uh in there and you know you have worship and song you have the gathering on the lord's day you have communion um you have sitting under the preaching and teaching the word you have times of prayer uh when you have those things that that is enough to equip every man and you know part of shepherding is just what you've said right good shepherding cre- creates programs as it were um to meet the needs that's there uh and it, it and and i think the for the pragmatic pastor right um you're no longer a shepherd you're just a ceo and that's really what it comes down to and right what what do ceos of companies do well if you're familiar uh, with with that kind of role, um, I mean the the job primarily is to make whatever the industry they're in to make the business profitable. And how do you make something profitable? You make it appeal to people, and so you change whatever you need to change. Um, I mean, purely pragmatic, and that's not bad in the business world. Um, but you do whatever you need to do to make your product or service appealing uh, to people. Well, so when you have a pragmatic pastor, basically he just becomes a CEO of a business rather than the shepherd no. of a flock, right? Um, a shepherd is so focused on the needs um, that he wouldn't dare leave the needs of the sheep to try to attract those who aren't sheep. Right, as it were. And so, anyway, um, I, anything else to add, brothers? We kind of get towards the end and wrap up a little bit shorter today. Uh, but I, I think pragmatism is a fairly simple um, you know, topic that we can understand. We just need to think about it and be aware of it, um, not just from our church's perspective, but from our own lives. Are we approaching the Christian faith from a pragmatic perspective? Or are we 
approaching the Christian faith um, out of reverence for God because we love yeah. God. Right. Yeah, I would just add that um, this takes um, the the heart of a believer that trusts in God's plan for the church. Um, that we come to God, we are fed by God according to what God says we need, um, and we incorporate um, the necessities of what God says must must be there, and uh, trust the ministry of the Holy Spirit as He brings gifts and puts burdens on people's hearts to to, to bring additional capabilities. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, I, I think we've um, we, we've talked about this from a number of different angles, and hopefully, our hearers have benefited from it. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.